Yes, we're into week two of this series on the Holy Spirit. We're understanding and seeing that he is God's presence and power with us. I hope you're still hungry and even more so for what God will teach us and show us by his Holy Spirit in these next nine or 10 weeks. I confess to you that I'm a novice in this. In fact, I'm not even a novice. I don't know what the word below novice is, but I'm there. Uh, I'm just growing and learning, and I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm excited to see what God will teach us and how he will manifestly, actively display his presence and power among us. I hope you're joining me on this journey. I think you are. I sense you are. I've heard so many good comments from different small groups and individuals. Uh, let's stay ravenously hungry for God. Amen. The reason we're taking a longer look at the Holy Spirit in this next nine or 10 weeks is because we want to see more about the Holy Spirit from a larger 30,000 foot perspective. This is what we call a, a biblical theology series. We're looking at aspects of the Holy Spirit in different parts of the scriptural narrative and learning about him as a whole so that when we come back to Ephesians chapters four through six, we won't be surprised at all at what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do in us personally and among us corporately. And what we're going to see this week from our various texts, we're going to see the creating work of the Holy Spirit. Say creating with me. Creating. We're going to see that aspect of the Holy Spirit. In fact, here's the essential truth we're going to see emerge from three different texts. There is no life of any kind without the creating, regenerating breath of God, the Holy Spirit. Will you say that with me before you write anything down, before you take a snapshot of the screen? Will you say this with me? There is no life of any kind without the creating, regenerating breath of God, the Holy Spirit. You'll see this emerge today from three different texts, what I would say would be three angles. The first one, Genesis chapter one, the opening pages of the Bible. Will you locate that portion of scripture? Here, Genesis one, one and two, as you're finding that passage, the Bible says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, this is not a message about creation, so you may have lots of questions about that aspect. This is a message on the Holy Spirit, so I'll, I'll just touch on that aspect. Notice here it says that the Holy Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 1 seems to be more of a factual account, a statement of what occurred in general, and beginning in verse two, he lays out the acts of creation, the process by which that occurred. And the spirit of God is involved in the very beginning of creation. In this way, he's poised. That's what the word hovering means. In fact, can I use this phrase? I think we'll understand it. I think you know my heart. He's like poised to strike. It's like he's actively waiting to release God's power. In fact, some commentators refer to the Holy Spirit as the personified breath of God. Why do we say that? Because in the Hebrew language, which is the Old Testament, and the Greek language, the New Testament, the word for spirit and breath are the same. In fact, the word wind, spirit, and breath are the same. 
So often they'll say the Holy Spirit is the personified breath or wind of God. And here, the breath of God or the Spirit of God is hovering, is poised over the waters, waiting for verse three, for God to speak. And the minute God spoke, when the word of God came, the power of God was released through the Holy Spirit of God. So do you see what's happening at the beginning of creation? How are, how are all things brought into being? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not just true in the beginning of creation. This is also true in the climax of creation, which is the creation of mankind. Look to the right one page, Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Hear this verse. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. You see the breath of God there, the Holy Spirit actively involved in the climaxing act of creation, the, the pinnacle act of creation, mankind. And so the Holy Spirit's breath, God's breath, the Holy Spirit is actively involved in creation from start to finish. Job would echo this, chapter 33, verse four. Here's what Job says. The Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So every time you hear a baby cry, for those in our audience who are expecting soon, you're in that hospital and that baby's delivered and then uh, the nose, I think, is unplugged or some things happen. All of a sudden, the cry comes out and they're breathing. Thank God his Holy Spirit is involved in creation. Now, I hope you're asking yourself something. I'm gonna lay this out as a teaser to you. You say, I thought the Bible said that God made the heavens and the earth and God created man. Here it says that the Spirit of God made me. And Todd, I think I've read in John 1 where it says that all things were made through the Son and without the Son, nothing was made that was made. Like, Todd, who really made things? God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit? Yes, God. <laughs> now, there's actually a doctrine that explains this. I'm not gonna tell you about it today for lack of time, but if you'll listen to the Extra Point podcast on Tuesday, I'll explain more about the doctrine of inseparable operations. That's even more obscure and remote than the doctrine of union with Christ, which by the way, is no longer remote here, amen? I mean, we've learned so much about our union with Christ. Well, this doctrine called the doctrine of inseparable operations is quite intriguing, interesting, and it helps us make sure that we see God as three in one, persons and yet uh, in unity. So I'll tell you more about it Tuesday. Just understand what we see in this passage is the Holy Spirit of God involved in creation, physical life. So we see our truth emerging, don't we? There's no life of any kind without the creating, regenerating breath of God, the Holy Spirit. You tracking so far? Now let's flip over to John chapter three. Look with me at another angle of the breath of God, the life-giving spirit of God. This refers to regeneration, or we might call spiritual life. In John 3, we have the story of Nicodemus coming to Christ and asking questions. He's curious about, you know, how uh, Jesus does things, who he is. And Jesus gives an interesting answer off the bat. He says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And so he starts in on this understanding that 
all the insight that I could give you, all the answers I'll give you, Nicodemus, they're, they're gonna be of no value if you just are physically born. Because this information, this insight's accessed through spiritual senses, through a spiritual lens. And so you need to not just be born physically, you need to be born again or born spiritually. Nicodemus wonders, like, how does that work? You know, do I go back into my mother's womb? He's thinking physically still. And Jesus picks this conversation up in verse five. Look with me. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So there's what it means to be born again, to be born of water and the spirit. Water there is probably referring to the cleansing of the spirit, which is referenced in Ezekiel 36 and 37. It's probably what Christ is referencing. By the way, our new, uh, our, our, not our new, but our current church planting resident, Parker, he's preaching on Ezekiel 36 and 37 in a couple of weeks about the Holy Spirit. So be sure not to miss that. Here he says that this, this spiritual birth, this new life is by the spirit. He says in verse six, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. In other words, there are two types of births. There's a natural one. There's a spiritual one. So don't be surprised that I say to you, you must be born again. And now he explains how this happens. Watch verse eight. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. He's illustrating how the spirit brings the new birth. And he uses the word wind, the word wind and the word spirit, same word in the Greek language. So he's really kind of doing a play on words here. He's probably having some fun with Nicodemus. Now, I know he's speaking of wind as far as, far as the atmospheric wind because he's using a neuter pronoun here in verse eight. Notice that? And we know from last week, the Holy Spirit's not a neuter uh, object or force. It's a, he's a person, right? So he's using the wind to illustrate that this is how the Spirit works. Just as you can't manufacture, control, or dictate wind, you can't manufacture, control, or dictate the Holy Spirit. Because the last part of verse eight, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, man, who knows when and where the Holy Spirit may at some point, and suddenly you find your heart is regenerated. And what you previously thought was nothing is now becoming a treasure. And the cross is interestingly curious to you. And this thing that, that held no importance now is becoming valuable. And you're finding these, these appetites are changing. Something's happening. You have now faith to believe in this message you hear called the gospel. That Christ lived, he died, was buried, he rose again. And it seemed like nonsense. Now it seems like like great sense, and you're drawn to believe. Why is all that happening? Because the Holy Spirit whew, on you. You can't manufacture it. You can't produce it. You can't dictate it. The truth is, it's the Holy Spirit who has the free will, not you. And it's by the free will of the Spirit's blowing that he loosens your bound will to suddenly love and treasure Jesus above all else. Now in the moment, you may not know all that. You're just coming to faith in Christ. You're like, man, I'm just glad God's gonna save me from hell and forgive my sins. But as you grow, you realize, oh, this is how it happens. This is how it works. It's the spirit of God who gives me spiritual life. This is why your testimony usually 
means a lot more as you get older than it did the day it happened. You're thankful the day it happened. You love it. God saved you. You love him. But as you get older, you look back, you're like, wow, I can't believe all that God did in my life to bring me to faith. Nancy Tinian here on my right, she's been saved, what, 49 or 50 years today? Is that about right? It's our spiritual birthday. She's remembering back to when she was 22. Is that correct? You know what Holy Spirit did that day in your life? He blew on your heart, gave you faith to believe, and you trust the gospel, and God saved her. I look around this room at so many of you in your stories. And being here since the day we planted, the Lord just made that a wonderful part of our journey, just knowing the stories of how God saved so many of you, seeing you get baptized. And I treasure your story, the day that God and the Holy Spirit brought you to spiritual life. One that I recall especially was Matthew Sizzix. He sits back over there. Uh, he was sitting there with his then girlfriend, now wife, and they're now going to her church. But they would sit back over there about where Ben Roby's sitting. And on that Sunday, I was preaching on Ezekiel 36 and 37, the story of the dry bones in the valley and how only the Holy Spirit's breath could bring them to life. And nothing fantastical happened in that section. There was no visible movement. There was no audible noise. I just assumed Matt was already a believer. He comes from a family in which most of their family, they're uh, long-term partners of ours. We've sent all of them in some way or another at some point in time. And uh, so I'm thinking, well, Matthew's you know, a family like that. He's probably a believer, but he comes to me after the service in just a direct line, makes a beeline for me. He says, Todd, today... I was born again. I said, I was, as a human pastor, oh, I didn't know that, Matt. I was kind of surprised, right? And I was rejoicing with him. And he said, I think for my life, I've just been attaching good works, kind of towing the line, doing what's expected, enjoying the benefits of a Christian family and even of a church family. Like there's some good things you can draw out of that to help you. He said, today I realized I never, I've never encountered God and his spiritual life, I was lost. He said, but this morning, God blew upon my dead spiritual life and brought me to life. I'll never forget that moment. We hugged, later we got baptized. Aren't you glad for the way the spirit of God blows upon people? Brings them to faith and brings them to life. And regenerates them. You see, what we're seeing here in John 3 as well is that there's no life of any kind without the creating, regenerating breath of God, the Holy Spirit. He's involved in the creation of man. He's involved in the regeneration of man. So both physical life and spiritual life are the result of God's Holy Spirit, of God's personified breath, the wind of God bringing life. There's also one more passage I want you to see. This is a third angle. Look at John 20 with me, would you? John 20 shows us how the Holy Spirit is key to missional life. In John 20, it's Easter evening. There's about 10 of the disciples in the room and they're somewhat frightened. 
I believe most of them are probably on the spectrum of believing. They've heard the women's report. They've seen some things, so they're aware he's risen, but they're not sure what all that means yet. And they're processing things, but I think they're probably on their way. And in this middle of this moment, on Easter evening, Christ appears before them. And I'm glad that his first words were basically, peace be with you, verse 19. Do you see that in John 20? I mean, can you imagine a whole day of, of Easter and, and the surprise of that, and then appearing before you is the Son of God in a glorified body. I'm glad he said peace be with you, because I would have had the opposite of peace going on, wouldn't you? He showed them his hands and his side, and they were glad, and he said again to them, peace. And then he sends them, look at verse 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And look at his very next action. On the heels of, of announcing their mission, he said, uh, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Notice the word breathe there and the idea of receiving the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness of any, it's withheld. Now that's a pretty staggering verse. I hope several questions are going through your mind. First of all, well, Todd, if he breathed on them here and they received the Holy Spirit, what was going on in Acts 2? Like I thought they were to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. This seems like a contradiction to me. That's a good question. We'll get to that. Second thing is, wow, Todd, this idea of forgiving sins and not forgiving sins, that sounds pretty papal-like, like a screen in front of you, push it aside. You're kind of like extending things because you have authority to do this stuff. That sounds like, what's going on in this verse? Those are great questions. First of all, there's no contradiction between John 20 um, and Acts 2. Here's why. I think here with the disciples, when Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit and he breathes on them, I think he's illustrating in a prophetic, symbolic way what's going to happen in 50 days. You see, this is Easter evening. So he lives on the earth for 40 days. He ascends and then he says to them, wait for the Holy Spirit for 10 days. They go to Jerusalem. They're waiting there and the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter two. He fills those believers and then of course, they're sent on mission to be witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts of the earth. That all happens beginning in Acts 2. I think this is a symbolic type of prophetic way to say, here's what's coming. I think it's very important that the disciples were aware, okay, this is what's coming uh, in just a few days. And notice that it's connected to mission. He breathes on them, says, receive the Holy Spirit. And he talks about extending forgiveness, withholding forgiveness. What's going on with that? He's not saying they have this power and authority on their own. Now listen to me very carefully. He's not saying you can make up the rules of the game, just kind of grant it when you want, ungrant it when you want. He's saying based on the life and death that I've lived, the resurrection that I've experienced, in other words, based on me, Christ is speaking here, based on what I've done, you have the power, the authority to actually be involved in, in assuring, confidently proclaiming that people can be forgiven and saying, yes, you're forgiven. Anytime anyone believes in Christ's death, burial and resurrection as the only way to be saved, you can say you're forgiven. That's all he's saying here. It's context. And Christ is sending them on mission with the assurance. If you stand on the gospel and proclaim that, you can say you are forgiven. And those who don't believe the gospel, you can say tragically they're not forgiven because there is only one way to receive forgiveness of sins through the name of Jesus Christ. 
And it's this mission of proclaiming the name of Christ, of making sure forgiveness is extended and offered through his name. This is why he breathes on them to symbolize and to illustrate what's about to happen so that they are empowered for mission. Notice one more thing about this text. It's very interesting. Here the Holy Spirit's power is given in order to point to Christ. You'll find that in the scriptures, the Holy Spirit's ministry is always a pointing and empowering ministry. The Holy Spirit here wasn't given, so to speak, in this symbolic way. Neither was he in Acts 2 given in order for them to point to themselves or to make a show out of the actual power or the signs. They're always designed to point to Christ because when Christ is magnified, God is glorified. That's the Holy Spirit's role. So he brings God's presence and power to situations so that Christ is magnified and God is glorified. That's happening here. They're seeing, wow, the Holy Spirit's gonna be given to us and he's gonna be with us forever. We're gonna be empowered for what? For the mission of preaching Christ to the nations. And as people are saved and brought into God's family, God is glorified. That's what's happening here. It's a missional, multiplying mindset. And the only way you live this way is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this week it hit me. This is probably why there is such minimal mission in many churches. We're operating outside the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got really good programs. We've got good organizers. We've got incredible spreadsheets. We've got good systems of thought. And to be frank with you, they make human sense. Things look organized. Like in our minds, we should that should work. The problem is there's no fuel in that gas tank. You can turn and turn the key and it's not going to start until the Holy Spirit of God breathes in a missional way upon you, in an anointing, filling way and says, wow, here's what's ahead. And then the efforts are empowered for the results God wants. And I do have a, I don't know what the word is. I, I do have a, a frustration sometimes with my own self and I think with the American church in the way that we can organize something to death. And I think and sometimes, and I've done this, I think you have as well. I think we've organized God's power right out of the church. I don't think that's our intent. And praise God for forgiveness and revival, but my heart wants to know and experience more of God's power in in spite of my organization, <laughs> in addition, perhaps, I don't know how to say it perfectly, but I don't want to have everything outwardly lined up. I don't have everything looking good in my eyes and missing the real element that makes mission possible. It's the Holy Spirit of God. He is who empowers a missional lifestyle. Now, I was asking myself another question this week. Does this text mean that I should expect the Holy Spirit to breathe on me in, in some other way other than what's already happened at my salvation? When the Bible says the Holy Spirit took me and baptized me into the body of Christ, he indwells me forever, so I have all of the Holy Spirit. He has put me into the church. Like, is there something else in addition to that? Is that what this is talking about? 
And here's what I think is a, is a pretty decent answer. Answer. This is a pre-Pentecost event, by the way. So you look at life post-Pentecost. What's happening here? I, I, I think maybe the best language to use to describe an anointing of the Spirit or a, a, uh, this empowered missional lifestyle would be what Ephesians 5 calls the continual filling of the Spirit. You know, Ephesians 5 says this, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. I think it's very intriguing that Paul would use a present active participle there. In other words, in an, on an ongoing basis, the Holy Spirit should be filling you. I tend to think that's kind of what this would look like after Pentecost. You know, we don't find any words in the Bible that would lean towards saying there's a breathing kind of experience after salvation or post-Pentecost. You don't find that. But we do find language that talks about a continual filling of the Spirit. Those empowering moments when God shows up through spiritual gifts and we see him effectively manifest and on display. So I'm here to say to you, if you're thinking, well, Todd, how do I access this, this missional kind of power? It's all about being filled with the Spirit. And I would maybe back that up and say it's all about being, uh, be being filled continuously saying, Holy Spirit, your word is my command and listening and being aware and sensitive to what he's, uh, how he's directing you. And the minute he speaks, the minute he directs, the minute he moves, you respond with a yes. We don't analyze it to death. We don't talk ourselves out of it. We don't find ourselves in analysis paralysis. We just say, that's the Holy Spirit of God. It doesn't contradict the word of God. The answer is Yes. That's the kind of person who's empowered for mission with, watch this, the breath of God. In um, preacher circles, they call this unction, kind of an old-fashioned word. Uh, we could use the word anointing, but unction just refers to these moments in which you sense God's Spirit working in extraordinary ways, uh, an anointing or an empowerment for a task. Now, I, I want you to know, I do believe in that. I think there are moments the Holy Spirit gifts people and empowers people for the extraordinary, the supernatural, when God will show up and manifest active ways. D.L. Moody also believed this. In fact, um, he describes in his own personal diary a moment in which this occurred. Let me share his story with you. I think it's very motivating and very helpful as we think about being empowered for a missional lifestyle by the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. It was just after the Chicago fire and he had gone to New York to seek help for not only Chicago, but for the ministries he's involved with. And he says this, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day, I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. Now he says this, watch. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that if you should give me all the world. What happened in D.L. Moody's life? Watch this, church. Here's what happened. The breath of God blew. You see, there's no life of any kind 
without the creating, regenerating breath of God the Holy Spirit. There's no physical life, there's no spiritual life, and there's no missional life. Genesis 1, John 3, and John 20. None of those are happening if God doesn't. Now, can we just admit something here as we close? That's hard to get your language around. Wouldn't you agree? I've struggled this week to try to explain and describe much about the Holy Spirit. It's, it's hard. In uh, our office all week, our staff's been kind of going back and forth on language to use about the Holy Spirit. We don't have it down pat. We use different words, and I think all of us have different intentions and meanings, just like you probably do. Here's why that is, because this is a very personal experience, and it's also a very supernatural experience. And so when we see God showing up in active, manifest ways, we're often short on words. Maybe the best way is without a word. By simply saying, oh, this sweet God, would you? Like, do you have a friend who's not a believer yet? And you've been racking your brain how to get them to say the prayer, right? <laughs> Come to church. Trust Christ. And I don't fault you for that. I have, I'm in the same boat. Man, I have several folks I'm witnessing to. I love working hard at it like you are. But sometimes I feel like I'm just hitting the dead end, you know. You know what you need? You know what I need? We need God to blow. That's true for your missional, missional life as well. For the power you need by the Holy Spirit to see your marriage turn around, to see your kids raised. Just pick your issue. The need of the moment is this. So when I can't give the words to fully describe how God always works and how his power and presence are displayed, I'm just gonna do this. Here's what you need. And you'll know what I mean, right? We need the breath of God. Is that your prayer this morning? God, breathe on me. Maybe there are folks here who are like Matthew Sizzik. You've got all the externals down. And you've attached to certain religious things because they give you certain benefits. But inside, you have no real spiritual life. Would you this morning ask God to breathe on you? And would you then hear the truth of the word of God that Christ died for you, was raised, and will forgive your sins if you'll just believe in his name. And the moment, the moment you believe God will save you, that whole process is God blowing on your life and bringing you to spiritual life. To help you process all this, here's what I want to do. I want to just give you an actual prayer to pray. It's a prayer written in the 1800s by a man named Edwin Hatch. Edwin Hatch wrote a prayer called, Breathe on me, O breath of God. In fact, it became a hymn. We could sing it, but this morning I think I'll probably just say it to you. And I'm asking you this, church, will you stay hungry with me? And can we this morning ask God to breathe on us? 
You see, some of you are thinking, well, will God answer that? Here's what he told his disciples, and with this I close. He said, if, if a, a son asks his dad for a fish, will he give him a stone? If a son asks his father for a gift, will he give him a serpent? And then Jesus said this, no, he won't. Like your father in heaven, he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So can we just ask God to breathe on us this morning? Let's pray. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. Let me read for you this prayer. I'll pause between certain lines and give you time to say this just above a whisper if you'd like. You can say it in a soft tone. You can speak it out loud. You can just recite it in your heart. I'm just asking you as part of this church to say this with me. Here's the first part of his prayer. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew. And that I may love what thou dost love. And do what thou wouldst do. Here's the second part of his prayer. You praying this with me, church? Breathe on me, breath of God. Until my heart is pure. Until my will is one with thine. To do and to endure. Breathe on me, breath of God. Till I am holy thine Until this earthly part of me Glows with thy fire divine Breathe on me breath of God Fill me with life anew That I would love What thou dost love And do what thou wouldst do We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.